This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Asian Insider, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm your host, Nirmal Ghosh. This is a special edition episode I have done with the head of the United Nations Development Program, Achim Steiner, who's based in New York City. We talk about the two big crises at the top of the agenda that just concluded the United Nations General Assembly, the climate crisis and the pandemic, and also about good governance and the frustration of many around the world at inaction on critical issues. The United Nations Development Program, the UNDP, among other things, produces the Human Development Index, very much a real measure of the well-being or otherwise of our species. I'm here in New York on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly to speak with Achim Steiner, administrator of the UNDP. Mr. Steiner, let's start with the existential question of climate change. We heard new pledges at the UNGA from US President Joe Biden and from China's President Xi Jinping. But did they go far enough? You know, it's one of the strange things in, in the history of humankind, but also in the journey towards a global climate response. Had these announcements been made 10 years ago, they would have been revolutionary, both in terms of the changing course and also in terms of the magnitude and implication. I mean, here is the United States doubling multi-billion dollar financing towards an international climate response. Here is China, a country that often has been pointed at as being the major exporter of uh, coal-fired electricity-generating infrastructure that is being built around the world, announcing that from here on onwards it will no longer export coal-fired uh, power stations. These are very significant announcements, and yet here we are in the year 2021. We have lost so much time. The window for us to actually stay within a 1.5-degree world is probably already closing, if not closed. So I think the impatience and the concern that the Secretary-General, but I think literally hundreds of millions of citizens around the world are now expressing towards the challenge of climate change, in part explain why these announcements are not yet enough. They are very significant in themselves, and we have actually seen remarkable things happen. The advent of renewable energy. Fifteen years ago, it was something that was basically science fiction. It was in the drawers of engineers. Today, we have a renewable energy economy where every year more money is being invested in new electricity-generating infrastructure that's renewable, than in oil, gas, coal, and nuclear combined. So we are already in the midst of an energy revolution. And yet, um, I think what people quite clearly sense, and that is a fact, we are still losing the race in terms of a race against time. And that is where we need to accelerate ambition. And I think Glasgow this year is one of those moments that not only in terms of um, the annual meetings of the climate conference is significant, it's also the fifth year in terms of a cycle where the Paris Agreement, quite ingeniously designed into this um, agreement that was difficult to, to reach in 2015, a ratcheting up mechanism. So every five years, countries would meet and raise their level of ambition. So over time, we will close the gap between where science is telling us we should be already in reducing emissions and where the world has been able to agree to move. Now, the good news is that curve is exponential in the sense of decarbonization. The bad news is we have got far less time left than we had 10 years ago, and that is our problem. Switching to the pandemic, which was also top of the agenda at the UNGA, what are your thoughts on vaccine equity? 
You know, the last 18 months, I think, will go down in history books as moments of extraordinary ingenuity and breakthroughs. For example, the ability to develop multiple vaccines in record time and therefore having the means by which to ultimately contain this pandemic. And yet also extraordinary failures in leadership, in responses, in particularly at this moment in time, vaccine equity. Um, going back to Amartya Sen, who once framed this notion that famines don't just occur because there's not enough food. They are failures in the way our systems are able to reach people. We are in an equivalent of a vaccine famine right now. And I think that understanding of how our institutions, our leaders and our response mechanisms have failed us is, I think, a moment of uh, deep introspection. And again, the Secretary of the United Nations in his opening speech this week was very clear about this. This is something that will leave a deep scar on the psyche of our collective confidence in one another. And yet, as always, this is not only a moment of being hopeless or feeling helpless. We are seeing now a recognition that vaccine inequity is self-defeating to those who are vaccinated, because if the rest of the world doesn't get access to vaccines, the pandemic will simply keep on coming back. But secondly, we're also seeing commitments being made right now that you know, ultimately will address, I hope, by the next maybe the middle of next year of 2022, that objective of maybe having 70% of the world vaccinated. Now, it's still an extraordinary um, acceleration of effort, of financing and of production, but it is doable. The question is, will our political leaders, will the world of financing and will the international platforms that we have for cooperation truly allow us to achieve that? One of the side effects of the pandemic has been deepening poverty in many regions. Plus, we now have humanitarian crises in Myanmar, Afghanistan, Ethiopia, and so forth. What is required of the international community to deal with these multiple pressures? Look, to be very frank, this is a moment in time in which it is sometimes challenging to be optimistic. I think we are seeing the convergence of a number of developments, whether it is the pandemic with all its disruption right now, you know, UNDP develops uh, every year the Human Development Index. And for the first time in 30 years, we've actually seen a drop in the Human Development Index. We have seen hundreds of millions of jobs being lost. We have seen a very unequal impact on men and women also. We've seen almost a billion children disrupted in their education. I and mean, these are profoundly um, and uh, deeply stressful uh, developments across the world. Now, obviously, one of the things that has also been a great preoccupation of the United Nations Development Program is that it's very different if you are poor in a poor country than if you live in a richer country where essentially you have a social security system, a social protection safety net, where the digital infrastructure allows you to at least create some form of hybrid education. And I think what has been so brutal about this pandemic is that it's extremely expensive to be poor in the pandemic. And that has been... I think the harshest reality from which many of the poorest countries and also the many of the poorest communities in our societies will take much longer to recover from. Add to that the challenge of climate change, the seeming inability or inertia of countries to agree on something that is perfectly doable, but because of so many factors that have to do with national interest, but also with the political economy of fossil fuel-based, uh, two centuries of industry and, and financial markets, we are at a point where we are perfectly capable of acting and yet seemingly we are not acting fast enough and we are struggling to act together. And I think from that point of view, 
people are justified in feeling disturbed and feeling frustrated. But what I would say to everyone is, um, at the end of the day, our politicians, our leaders, the companies whose products we buy, if actually citizens care enough, they depend on the public, they depend on consumer markets, they depend on electorates. So make your voices heard because this is a moment where sitting back is becoming complicit in not doing something, whether it is through the act of voting, whether it is through the act of purchasing something, that is how you become uh, essentially active. And you will notice very quickly that this is not a moment in which to simply have a sense of helplessness. But it is a, a difficult moment and I have every sympathy for people who say, what do I do in this moment? Um, and yet, you know, I work for the United Nations. Um, this is an organization that was born out of a true historic moment of tragedy. That vision of establishing the United Nations actually was created in the midst of the Second World War, the worst possible moment in the 20th century for humanity. And I think we need to find that same strength in ourselves right now. We are in the midst of a pandemic. We are losing the battle against climate change. Millions of people have lost their livelihoods, impoverished. Poverty and equality are dividing our societies. This is the moment to step forward. This is a moment where our political leaders need to show vision. Maybe we need different leaders, but not to resign ourselves to a um, fait accompli. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. And now, back to our conversation with the head of the United Nations Development Program, Achim Scheiner. The UNGA has been holding a high-level dialogue on energy. The stated goal is clean, affordable energy for all by 2030 and net zero emissions by 2050. Are we on track? You know... As always, when you take the world as a whole, you begin to transact in averages. So what this tells you on the one hand, particularly with a global planetary phenomenon like climate change and carbon emissions, that we are not doing enough. We're not on the right track yet in terms of speed. But what it hides is some very differentiated pictures. I mean, there are economies today, industrialized economies, developing country economies, where renewable energy already provides 50, 60% of the electricity. We are seeing electric mobility suddenly take off, even though people said, well, maybe by 2050, 10%, 20% of cars will be, uh, you know, using electric um, engines to, to essentially, you know, move us from A to B. I think we are seeing an exponential curve and the high level dialogue on energy is the first time in 40 years that the United Nations is inviting the world to, on the one hand, come together for a dialogue to look at Sustainable Development Goal 7. It's one of the 17 Sustainable Development Goals about energy, access to energy, energy efficiency, and essentially clean energy. These are three fundamental trajectories for our sustainable development future, whether you are an industrialized country, a developing nation, a small island developing state. And our concern is that at the moment we are losing uh, the momentum on these three front lines because the world is not focused enough on how it can actually collaborate on SDG 7, on how to recognize that giving the means by which people, and there are still close to 800 million people without any access to electricity, and this is the 21st century, can we actually close that energy gap while at the same time reducing the carbon footprint? Can we use energy efficiency to drive economic development without worsening climate change? So our dialogue this week here is not a summit. We're not negotiating something. We're trying to get the world's attention 
in order to also demonstrate that different choices are available. And there are more than 150 energy compacts that will be presented here from countries, from companies, from organizations that essentially show how they have now committed or are already committed to precisely the kinds of objectives that uh, Sustainable Development Goal 7 set out for us. So for anyone around the world to argue that this is unattainable is simply not correct. And we are providing living proof of that through the many examples that are going to be presented here. And let me also say, if we you know, sat together 10 years ago, it may have been still a valid concern that the cost of transition towards renewable energy is prohibitive from a developing country perspective and an economy that is still trying to build up its industrialization. In the year 2021, in virtually every country or most countries across the world, renewable energy today is cheaper per kilowatt hour than any other fossil fuel-based energy generation or electricity generation. So we are in a different technology and economic context in which actually for many developing countries, renewable energy may be the shortcut to access to energy. Off-grid solar, wind power, we can develop, in a sense, an energy infrastructure from the ground up. We often hear the term good governance, and there are also examples of bad governance. What is your message in terms of governance? What is required at this time? You know, in a world of many different philosophies, political ideologies, countries and national interests, sometimes the term governance has become appropriated maybe by one group and therefore leads another group to reject it because behind it is something that they don't agree with. But you just said it yourself. If you talk about good governance, basically all of us know with a sense or a common sense approach what it means. It means that our elected officials represent us, that they are not corrupt, that our government and public servants are there to serve us as citizens and not to serve themselves, that modernizing a public, um, for instance, administration through digital and e-governance has to be done with a view to not serving only the richest, the wealthiest, maybe the people who live in the cities, but the whole population, inclusive finance, inclusive services. Um, these are the elements that define a nation's success and ultimately also define whether a social contract succeeds. What we have seen just in the last five to seven years before the pandemic already was that in more and more countries that social contract was beginning to break up. When people in more and more countries begin to step out onto the streets to express their political frustration, you know something is not right. And it has a lot to do with bad governance, where leaders who are elected betray the confidence vested in them, where maybe corporations take advantage of loopholes and regulatory frameworks where the new big fintech companies of the world are essentially able to operate in you know financial dimensions that are almost unimaginable to a normal citizen and then don't pay taxes that is what corrodes confidence of citizens in their national governments or indeed in international governance systems and then sometimes also the the false promises of you know a free trade world which has been phenomenal in driving economic growth and opportunity but has also amplified inequalities, created injustices. That is why the 21st century is also a moment in which, you know, we need to rediscover how it is that we define not good governance from a, you know, empirical or scientific point of view, but from a consensus point of view. And I think we are in the midst of that in many different societies. It's a painful dialogue because it involves some giving up something in order for the majority to gain something, which is a well-governed country that allows people to thrive and fulfill their capabilities. 
What is your parting assessment of this UNGA? Look, in the midst of a pandemic, um, it is painful to see how the world is struggling to come together. And in one sense, I'm very grateful that this week here in New York, we see a semblance of what this United Nations General Assembly High Level Week um, is meant to be. The place where everyone, despite every differences that they may have with each other, actually comes into one hall, into one place, and tries to talk rather than fight. And it is against that backdrop that I think this General Assembly taking place, even in its very restricted way, is extremely important. But it is also a reflection of how challenged we are right now by this pandemic as a world family. Achim Steiner, thank you very much for your time today. That nicely wraps this discussion up for the Asian Insider podcast. I'm your host, Nirmal Ghosh. Join me and my expert guests for the next episode on the fourth Friday of every month. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.